0: Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast, episode number 31. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level.
1: I am
2: Amanda Lowry, finalist in the Extreme Hunters contest.
0: This is Boyd Barnett with Moultrie Products and the Moultrie Total Game Management podcast. This
2: is Dean Vanier
0: with Northwoods Common Sense. This is Rob
2: Lucas from Chasing Tail. Tim Moore from TimMoreOutdoors.com and New Hampshire Seacoast Guide. This is Nathan Biggs with Browtime Productions. So you're listening to the Big, Big Buck, Buck Registries Big, Big Buck Bug
0: Podcast. Bug. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Jay Scott, your host of the Big Buck Registries Big Buck Podcast, and uh, this is episode number 31. Cannot believe it. And, uh, Dusty, is here with me from ohio what's happening dusty yeah not a whole lot you
1: believe 31 people joined
0: us on a podcast it's crazy 31 times we've done this and we've had 31 guests ish thereabouts yeah that's you know i didn't get to do all of them but man i've been here for a good while now yeah no you've been here longer than you haven't basically so we've done more shows than than uh when we didn't have you on the show so yeah you you're you're now an official yeah it's veteran. been
1: uh it's been an awesome journey and and we hope that everybody enjoys us and uh keeps listening and tuning in to us every Saturday at five o'clock
0: five a m and uh, d- don't worry if you 're not up at five we 're going to repost it multiple times throughout the day so that you can listen and enjoy the content if it 's uh, a subject matter that you're interested in partaking in we've had well over uh ten thousand listeners in fact, every single week we 're growing. In the amount of listeners that listen for that week. So, in other words, yes, we're, we're, the more and more people are listening, but we're actually gaining more each week than we did the week before, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And if you take time and share our podcast, more and more people will keep listening. Yeah. One of the things I want to cover early in the show this week, Dusty, is uh, we always tell how to reach us at the end of the show, but I thought it'd be good if we kind of said it in the beginning. So, how, yeah. how do you actually, I mean, who are you? You're from Ohio, you're from Farmersville. We know we've learned a little bit. Um, But one of the things that you've Focused on creating is the Chubby Tines Outdoors. Um, where do people come to find your site? You
1: know, we're on Facebook
0: and, you know, we, we've got a website in the progress of getting
1: started and it's just been slow, been working a lot. But uh, Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. Look us up, give us a like. How can we get in touch with uh, Big Buck Registry, Jay?
0: It's uh, it's pretty easy. Um, I'd love people to call in at 724 613 2825 to either leave a leave feedback about this show or to just tell us a story about a hunt they're on or just to get in contact with us so you can always send an email jay at big buck registry and then on anything that you look at it's always big buck registry and that's facebook it's our website bigbuckregistry.com it's twitter that's our handle Um, the podcast is big buck registry the big buck podcast on itunes stitcher uh, blueberry Libsyn, um, TuneIn Radio. We're on all those major podcast directories. We're so everywhere. We're, we're in a lot of different spots. So that's all very cool. We even, even got some, you know, video on YouTube. It's kind of hard to do a video of an audio, but we do it anyway, um, because the content matter is important to our listeners. Um, what do you want to talk about today, Dusty?
1: You know, I, I want to get into kind of the know how to, to properly cook venison how about we get into that
0: i have just a guy uh that i would like to interview and interrogate Yeah, you, you got us a butcher and, yep. and are Al. you telling me you got you got us a chef i found us a chef in fact he's a good friend of wow. mine and That's it's somebody awesome. that um i've known for quite a while actually and he is a graduate of southern new hampshire university and he is the head chef at one of the high-end classy joints in downtown Concord, new hampshire um and he is the the head chef over there and uh nothing leaves his his kitchen without being perfect. And that's where I usually go to have a, a really great burger or if I want frog or something like that, something fancy, he knows how to cook that too. But he's agreed to spill his guts about how to cook venison better because one of the things he is when he's not being a chef is he's a hunter. He is a that's big awesome. he loves to hunt, loves to hunt deer, goose, ducks, he loves to hunt but he also loves to cook it, so he's going to share with us a lot of those tips. Well, let's quit talking about All him right. and get him on the show. All right. His name is Corey Fletcher, head chef at the Granite uh, in Concord, New Hampshire, and let's uh, get Corey on the show right now. Awesome. Corey, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast.
2: Well, thanks for having
0: me. No problem. What's going on, man?
2: Oh, nothing. Just uh, just relaxing. Actually, just got to uh, teach... Uh Class down at uh, SNHU, um, so my second semester doing that. So it's kind of a good way to apply my uh, my skills I learned in the, in the field per se.
0: Very cool, excellent. Now you and I have been uh, buddies for a while now, and and uh, we both share the passion of hunting. And fortunately, you've been trained in the culinary arts and run one of the high end restaurants in Concord, New Hampshire, called The Granite. <laughs> and uh, you're the head chef there, correct?
2: I am, yes.
0: Beautiful. All right. So you've got the credentials that we're looking for on the big buck registry to try to figure out how to make our venison dishes taste just a little bit better. And everybody comes to a venison recipe a certain way from what they've known or have experienced from mm-hmm. what, you know, the grandfather taught them or just what you can pick up in a recipe book Yep. or cookbook. I want to get into the nitty gritty. I, I want the truth about <laughs> venison tonight. And I want to know what what we need to know as hunters and as keepers of meat and venison in our freezer on how to make that taste the best. Because I bet there are some things that we don't know about yet that you know that'll make just our meals better all around.
2: Yeah, it's, a, it's- can't yeah, can't agree more. It's it's definitely you know, the the little things. You know, um, I think the, the quality of the meat is definitely uh, is definitely key, and that's that starts with uh you know field dressing, um you know proper shot placement, you know making making sure that animal obviously doesn't suffer, um you know bleeds up quickly, um you know all the way down to you know proper proper butchering, which you guys have uh, discussed in the past.
0: We we spoke to a fella by the name of Al out of um, Connecticut who used to run a deer butchery shop and uh that was a few episodes ago and he spoke to us about how to properly take the the deer apart into the, into the right pieces and to break it down as a butcher would and mm-hmm. these th- this concept kind of overlaps with the culinary side of things we we figured we might as well get a little deeper into this yeah so Absolutely. we thought you know having a head chef as a guest would be the appropriate next direction in this this trilogy. So All right, so tell definitely us you go, go ahead.
2: I was gonna say you definitely don't want to go through all that all that work and you know, time sitting at stand or you know, walking the ridge line or something to you know right you know,
0: get that far and ruin it. <laughs> exactly. And Al did bring up the point that it starts with a shot. You know, trying to make that right shot so you don't puncture any, any guts or, or anything like that. <clears> this <throat> the, the shot is is the first step. Second step once you actually get the deer is to properly remove it from the woods cuz there's a lot of bacteria that is on the the ground that you can yep. introduce your meat to fairly easily if you don't drag it correctly or get it out correctly. Then it goes into using the right the right utensils, making sure you don't have overlap from the field into the processing spot wherever you're processing and then making sure you keep the hair And the dirt and all that other stuff away from the meat and then breaking it down into the parts. Yep. So what I wanted, where I wanted to pick up on this is, okay, we've taken the deer part. We've got it down to. The, the, the front shoulder, the, the hind quarters, the tenderloins, the, the back strap of the ribeyes into the burger and all that stuff. And I want to, tonight, what I want to try to do is put all those pieces together and how to cook each one the right way. But first, I'd like to know what, what is so unique about venison that makes it different from any other meat?
2: Um, I'd have to say it's, probably uh, not not the meat itself but probably the probably the heritage and the in the annual you know, tradition of uh, you know chasing after that big buck um, and uh, when you're lucky enough to, to get one you know you kind know, you're not just you know down you know, sitting for another meal it's uh, you know you like you're reliving, reliving the hunt you know well,
0: that's interesting uh, you say that because I would have guessed something else so, the, so you think that that uh, the meat isn't all that different but it's the tradition and the, the 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 aspect of how we harvested the deer that's that's even more important right. than or just the fact that you harvested the the very animal that you're going to eat is different than eating a piece of meat that that you never even looked at.
2: Absolutely. I I think in, uh, in America there's a, there's a huge disconnect of, um, you know, what's on our plate. Um, and how it gets there versus you know actually you know harvesting the animal and butchering it down and you know having it you know come full circle. I think a lot of people are just used to uh, you know going to a grocery store and you know getting a you know a steak that's already cut and cleaned and you know brought to the point where you know it's ready to hit a pan or go in an oven. You know you're, you're doing all that work and you're putting a lot of time and effort into it that that makes it that much more special. Gotcha.
0: You think um, it's a respect element type of thing?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely the the, the quality of the meat and the taste is, uh, you know, I think uh, just as good, if not better than uh, than
0: beef. Gotcha. One of the things that we talked to Al about is about how long to age the deer. Um, Mm -hmm. And he said that uh, if you can maintain the proper temperature at 38 degrees, ideally go seven days because that'll break down the meats the most. Yep. but that usually can't get there unless you're in a controlled environment. Right. Um You know, we had a re- roadkill here just a little while ago and we let it, could only let it hang about four days because we had the right temps and then it was dropping into the sub zero weather and it was going to freeze the meat. We couldn't, didn't want that to happen either. So there's like this range where, you know, everything's perfect, but you get too far out of that and everything goes to hell basically. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's definitely tougher in New England, as you know. You know, you can get an early season uh, archery archery kill, and you know it'll be you know 45 in the morning, but you know, come the afternoon it'll be you know 75, or 80. And that's that's right. not ideal temperature. <laughs> right. So
0: yeah, that that, that um, lets the bacteria kind of grow when it gets too that's warm, true. and when it's you don't want frozen meat either. Kind of kind of destroys the meat when you freeze yep. it, in in a sense too, or stops the de- the uh, natural curing of the meat from the enzymes. Yep. So, okay. So we're down to the, let's, let's start with the venison itself. So you think that the venison itself is unique, not so much in the meat itself, but that it is a tradition in that having an aspect of where we actually can harvest the meat or the deer ourselves and process that deer. That's something special that I get. I, I and Dusty gets it. I'm sure. Oh, for sure. You know, that, that's, it. don't get no more important than that. Right. It's an, it's an element to life that everybody should experience. And, you know, I, this is why I frown upon those anti-hunters because they don't even know what they're talking about.
1: Very rewarding.
0: Yes. It it gives you a whole perspective on life, where your food comes from. It gives you a great deal of respect for, um, not throwing food away and, and all that kind of stuff. So I get that. Now the meat itself though, it is lean. Absolutely. What challenges does that bring to you as a chef?
2: Um, <clears throat> It either forces you to make a make a decision, you're gonna know, have to, you know, cook it relatively quick or the complete opposite, you know, put it in a crock pot, you know, sear it and braise it for, you know, three hours or so. Um so there's there's really no middle ground like there is with, you know, everyday proteins that people are used to. Um you know, pork, beef, chicken, you name it. Um, you know, it's really that that marbling that, that people try to achieve so much in um in beef that, that is um, is you know absolutely non existent in venison. Right. Um so one way, shape or form you're either gonna have to, you know, add some sort of fat back into it, whether you know you're making you know making sausage or, or burgers. Um you know if you if you cut it with um some really fatty um pork in the sausage making process or you know if you get a um, you know buck later in the season where it's got a little more fat on it, you can reintroduce that back into <clears throat> excuse me, back into the cooking process, um you know whether it's you know being ground up and added in the burger. Um but it's definitely we need to add moisture back into it and protect the moisture that you know in the fat content that is you know minimal in whatever cut you choose to.
0: Okay, let's let's start taking a look at the different cuts of the deer, and I want your opinion on how to deal with that cut and how to cook it appropriately. Let's start with where we started with Al. Let's start with the tenderloins. The tenderloins are on the inside of the animal. They're extremely delicate. They're extremely tender. Mm-hmm. hence the word tenderloins right what do i what do i need to know about the tenderloin and is it different than the other parts of meat and because of the way it is
2: um i think, I think you like you said the name kind of you know gives it away it is it is tender um it's usually those tender cuts that you want to do that that quick um that quick uh sear you know simple salt and pepper um high heat little bit of oil um and either sear it in a pan um or throw it on a you know smoking hot grill um and just you know Cook it's a uh, rare, medium rare. I wouldn't go any you know any higher than that. As far as uh, you know doneness, okay. Um, just kind of let the let that cut you know, speak for itself. You know, but it's a prize of, of any animal, and you don't really want to want to ruin it. So just you know, high heat, simple seasoning, and you're good to go.
0: Is it so? It's kind of like a let's say tuna, like a high end tuna. It's like you <laughs> yeah, you know absolutely. You almost want to eat tuna raw because it's that good. It's that tender. Yeah, yeah I agree. But if you are going to cook it, and it's a, a high grade quality tuna, you just just douse it real quick with yep. heat, high heat, quick, and then done.
2: Yep. So, yeah, you don't want to cut the tunnel in either, you know, just like you would a piece of tuna. You don't you know, chunk up, you know, tuna into one-inch squares and try to sear it because it'll end up cooking all the way through. So, right. you know, leave leave that tunnel hole, you know, any... Uh, any silver skin you know, that's still on there, you know, try to be careful and take uh, take that off as much as possible. Okay, gotcha.
0: Um Dusty, let's go into the ribeye piece, let's go into the, the, the back strap. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. And and Dusty, you hadn't made a point on the last episode when we were breaking down the deer with Alice that the piece of the tenderloin that is perhaps the best piece of the tenderloin is called the tail, or Al called it the tail. The tail is the piece, not by the tail, it's actually the reverse. It actually cuts into the shoulder, just inside the shoulder. And that piece is supposedly the best part of the backstrap. Dusty, you want to walk us through the backstrap and, and all the different parts and how to cook those?
1: Yeah, you know, from a chef's perspective, I, I want to ask, tell us a little bit about the difference between a butterfly piece of meat and just a standard, regular, one, one inch cut.
2: Um, you know, the butterfly is essentially a, uh, you know, you, you take your, your one inch piece of backstrap um, in a butterfly, we'd essentially be, you know, cutting it almost all the way through and then fanning it open. So it would kind of, you know, fold open almost like a, like a, like a hamburger bun that's not cut all the way through. You're just taking a, a thick piece and making it a little bit bigger. Um, which is good to make the steak look, look bigger, but, you know, the, you know, back strap, you know, I kind of cook the same way or would cook the same way as I would a, you know, tenderloin. You just want to, you know, high heat, do a quick sear, or grill, um, you know, whatever, you know, marinade or dry rub you want to use, you can you put that on there, but definitely want to serve that, know, even rare or rare until you start getting into the, you know, the more um, granular parts of, uh, you know, the, of, uh, you know, sirloin steaks and shoulder steaks.
1: Excellent. You know, a lot of people say that they, they like to get rid of the gamey taste uh, in their back straps. Is there any methods that you would walk through to uh, maybe pull out, you know, some say meat, some say ice cold water, draw some of it out. You, you got any uh, tips and tricks to get a little bit of the gamey taste out of it?
2: Um. <laughs> If, whenever I hear the word uh word gamey, i always uh always chuckle a little bit obviously uh, I think people associate you know that that irony bloody taste with being gaming, but you know frankly it's it's what venison can taste like um you know it's just like uh like most animals, you know, if you if you have a piece of beef that's uh, grass-finished or corn-finished, you know, it's going to taste completely different. Um, and, you know, what venison, you know, what a deer eats is going to obviously affect what it what it tastes like. You know, if you've got a deer that's roaming around an apple orchard eating apples all day versus one that's,
0: you know, on, a, on an oak
2: ridge, you know, chomping on acorns, you're going to have two completely different-tasting animals. Um, and that will affect, you know, give it, you know, potentially a, a more gamey flavor. Um, um, you know, I think the quality of the meat definitely will help help with that. Um, but to, if if you do get you know one that you don't, you would consider gaming, I think uh, definitely doing a marinade, um, whether it's a wet a wet marinade um, or dry marinade, um, you know you can kind of influence let's, the taste that way. So let,
1: let's talk let's talk through a marinade. Give give yep. us a marinade that uh, definitely will increase our flavors and make our taste buds dance. Um,
2: when I talk wet marinades, I talk, you know, um, vinegars, wines, uh, juices, that kind of stuff. Um, I prefer more dry marinades, uh, more spice blends. Um, I've always enjoyed, uh, you know, um, crushed coriander, fennel seed, black peppercorns, uh, salt, um, and just, you know, exactly, you know, just rub it right on the meat. Um, and let it sit for about a half hour before you cook it. Um, and the salt will uh, kind of help draw a little bit of moisture out to the outside when you're cooking it um, to kind of help, you know, give it a nice little crust along with those spices that, um, you know, give you that, you know, that all those flavors of the, the spices, you know, peppercorn and the fennel seed, and um, they're, they're strong flavors, um, and they pair well with, you know, strong flavor of venison.
1: Excellent. On a, on a whole tenderloin, let's say we've cut the whole backstrap out, and we're going to do the whole tenderloin. Can you yep. give us an ideal temperature range where that needs to be pulled off the grill? Uh,
2: temperature range for cooking, or temperature range for doneness. Doneness. Um I'd probably, you know, maybe cook it maybe a total of, you know, four or five minutes depending on the size of it. Um, you know, obviously as uh you know, proteins tighten up. If you if you think of an egg, you know, you um, crack an egg right into a bowl, it's it's raw, it's very loose and runny. Um if you have a hard boiled egg, you know, it gets really hard and stiff and that's a perfect example of what protein does when it cooks. It tightens up. Um, so if you, if you touch and feel, you know, the difference between you know, a raw tone, we cook it, it, it's soft. You don't want it to get it too much harder than that. You just know, nice caramelization on the outside. So, you know, four minutes will be, uh, will be good.
0: Awesome. Gotcha. Uh, Corey, can we go back to the, um, the spice blend a little bit? Um, yep. when you're putting a spice blend together, hot, should we be taking the, the fennel seeds and all those things and making them into smaller? Um, granules? Should we putting like put them into like a coffee grinder and get them into a really small piece, or do you? There's a hole, okay?
2: Um, definitely want to definitely want to grind them up. Um, if they um, they stay whole, they'll get crunchy and, and burn. You definitely want to you throw it in a coffee grinder, a pulse it a couple of times. You, you almost want it to be the exact um, size of, of coffee grounds.
0: Okay, all right. So uh, not tiny tiny, but a bit yeah, a bit of flake of to it. Not, yeah. gotcha. And then that can be coated on on anything that you're doing on the rib. By to encrust it, so to speak, is that kind of the right word?
2: Yeah, yeah, crusting is a is the perfect word. Okay, you know, brush, brush it, or you know, roll it around a little bit of oil, and then you take a uh, take your uh, spices and just rub it on there and let it sit.
0: All right, so I t- I take the the piece of meat, I roll it around in the oil, and then I roll it <laughs> around in in the. The spice blend, whatever it is, yep, and then that's going to become my crust as it cooks. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Do you have any recommendations on how long to cook a piece of meat? Uh, d- d- does it depend upon the size and and um,
2: a, a lot does depend depend on the size um, in the in the thickness. Um, I I know just by my experience, I can I can look at it and I can touch it, and know when it's done. A lot of people um, right. with you know not too much experience you know, use uh, meat thermometers. Yeah. Um, as far as a meat, meat thermometer, you probably cook it to um, probably 110, 110 15 for for rare um you know the larger the piece of meat um, you know it's obviously going to hold and retain heat a little bit so it will you know cook a little bit a little bit more than a smaller piece would um but yeah you know one, 110 115 for rare, rare, medium rare.
0: Okay, I always thought that was interesting that the the doneness of the meat is directly relational to the temperature that the core meat achieves. Yep. And,
2: and that's why a lot of uh, recipes too, you know, say you know bring steak to room temp, so that way the the temperature you know on the inside has a better chance of slowly getting to that, you know, 110, 115 range instead of, you know, shocking it from, you know, 45 straight out of the, or 40 right out of the fridge, you know, up to, up to 110, 115. It takes a little bit longer of a time. Gotcha. Which also increases you know chance for you know over charring uh, the outside of it, waiting for it to get to that you know that that ideal temperature.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, uh, that's a, that's a great point there about uh, room temperature. Let your meat uh, get to room temperature before you start the process of cooking. That way, like you said, you you don't get extra charring on the exterior, trying to get the interior well
0: done enough for you to consume. Yep. yep. All right. So, being on the topic of bringing your room or your meat to room temperature, that means that that meat had to come from a spot where it was not room temp, probably from your freezer. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion on freezing meat, Corey?
2: Um, I don't like doing it, but preserving the harvest, freezing is, is an absolute must. Um, you know, if you're not butchering your own meat, um, you know, definitely have your processor cryovac it. Um, I'll often, you know, take that extra step to prevent freezer burn um, when I process my deers um, by wrapping it in a plastic wrap and then, um, and then cryovac-ing it. Oh, really? It just give that little extra added, uh, added step. So um,
0: any protection that you can give it, you give it? Y-
2: yep. Um, most... Any product that you handle, um, there's an acronym in the in the restaurant world called FATOM. Um, food, air, time, temperature, oxygen, and moisture are all enemies of food, and that um, any of those you know six elements will um, help increase bacteria growth. Um, and or, you know, help, help carry the
0: meat. Okay, um, so FAT-TOM, that's the acronym yeah. we got to remember. Go through that one Not more food. time. FAT, F stands for? Food. Food. A? A is,
2: is for air. Air. Uh, T, is, T is for uh, time. Time, okay. Uh, the second T is for uh, temperature. O is for oxygen, and M is moisture.
0: All right, FAT-TOM. You got that, Dusty? FAT-TOM. I got it. You know, that's very interesting. Got to remember FAT-TOM. All right okay so what's what is your favorite cut out of the backstrap Corey, to cook um, and and to eat
2: I'd have to say you know closer more into into the sirloin end
0: really okay you
2: start getting you know that that almost you know two section part of the of the of the back strap. you know you, you almost start getting two different two different grains and you've got that little uh, um you know
0: steam or right. a
2: muscle muscle section kind of
0: breaking off gotcha what what does sirloin mean
2: it's usually um it's a cross cut of, um, of, uh, the, the top round and bottom round and kind of right where the back strap kind of continues and hooks up with the, the hind quarter.
0: Okay. Gotcha. And we've talked these, these terms a little bit, but I want to just, I want to make it absolutely, absolutely crystal clear for our audience about what these things mean. <laughs> All right. So you, you like the, the back piece of the ribeye. Yep. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get into that, the, the front shoulder and the neck. Is there any, any cut out of the shoulder of a deer that you think is a good cut of meat to not grind up?
2: Um, I think, uh, usually when I, when I butcher my deer, I usually use most of that for, uh, for stew meat, okay, because um, the 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 grain of the meat has tends to be a little bit longer. Um, it's not a huge huge muscle uh, section, but you know it definitely does the work. Right. Um, in comparison to you know hindquarters, um, so I usually like that for uh for stew meat.
0: Stew meat, okay. Um, so stew meat is kind of the the front shoulder. Is that kind of what you you do with your stuff as well, Dusty? Stew meat for the front shoulder. Yeah, I, I may pull a front
1: shoulder roast out and uh, use that. You know, crock pot. Obviously, it's you know stew meat in a sense but I like to take one large chunk there. Okay. And and the rest I try to grind. Okay. But, uh, you know, is, is that what you're talking about is
0: yeah. uh, front roast? Yeah, front roast. Are there any front roast or any anything out of the front shoulder that you use as a roast as opposed to – chopping it up into little pieces to use for more or less stew meat and then also the other piece where you grind it up and make nothing but burger out of it
1: yeah you know that's uh we definitely do a front shoulder roast if, if it depends on the size of the of size the of the animal deer. Right, right yeah that, that makes a difference and uh you know as far as stew meat and maybe we'll clear this up stew meat i see is small chunky meat that's just thrown into a pot versus
0: a large roast right right i agree completely Gotcha. Um, All right, Corey, let's talk about burger for a little, just a little bit, see around the front front piece. Should we mix venison burger with some kind of fat in order to achieve a good-tasting venison burger, or does it matter?
2: It's kind of a, a personal preference. You know, if you wanna if you wanna you know get some some pork fat back and grind it in with some you know leaner um, you know leaner leaner grind, um, you you can. I, I think it's definitely a pers- personal preference. Um, you know, I've only done that a couple times and really haven't you know noticed too much of a difference. Um, but the fat pork fat really doesn't have a huge amount of um, flavor difference compared to other fats. But you know, it's, it definitely adds moisture. Um, and it, it melts away, so it, uh, it, it definitely helps uh, retain moisture. Okay. All right. What
0: what do you recommend? beef fat or pork fat
2: uh, i i would prefer pork pork fat
0: pork fat and the venison burger okay all right so let's move off of the the burger is there anything or let's go no actually let's continue on the burger just for a bit how do you prepare your best venison burger and i don't want to share any proprietary secrets that you might have <laughs> at the granite but if yep. you're at home and you've got venison i don't because i'm not sure you guys serve a ton of venison down at the granite uh, But. We,
2: do I? I do when I can. But,
0: when you can, when you can get it. Yeah. Um, how do you prepare your ideal burger at home when you you're using venison?
2: I almost kind of make a make a meatloaf mix. You know, add a add a little bit of garlic and onion um, in, in with the in with the patty. You know, obviously salt, pepper, um, and you know just mix up the mix up the onion and garlic. You know, mix in with your your burger. Season the meat throughout. I know some people just you know make their patty um, and throw it on the grill, but the, the salt, salt and pepper definitely definitely go a, a long way. Um, if if anything um, throughout this whole thing, I'd, I'd have to say you know properly seasoning uh, meat is 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 key.
0: Gotcha. On that subject, how important is seasoning? Um, I want to hear it from your from you because I have an opinion about it, but I want to hear it from you.
2: Um, it definitely ranks, ranks up there. I think, um, after, uh, you know, quality of meat being number one, um, you know, cooking technique associated with the proper cut is number two. Um, and if you do those two things right and you don't season it properly, you're not getting the most out of it. So it's definitely a one, two, three kind of thing, but they all tie in with each other. Um,
0: gotcha. All right. So rank one, two, three. Yep. Got it. Stew, stew meats. What, what's your favorite way to prepare venison stew?
2: In hmm. New Englander, I definitely have to say, you know, the basic, you know, searing it, you know, a little bit of, a little bit red wine, you know, beef stock, um, or venison stock if you, you know, have, a, you know, save your bones and make stock that way, but that's, you can talk about that later if you wish. <laughs>
0: right, right. Yeah, um, we'll get into that in, at, a little bit later on.
2: Um, but, you know, definitely potatoes, carrots, onions. Um, and some basic herbs, you know, thyme, rosemary, salt and pepper, of course.
0: <laughs> right, right. The yep. basics, the salt and pepper brings everything out and brings it all yep. together, right? Absolutely. What is it about salt and pepper that, that kind of rounds it all out? Do they, when you were in culinary school, did they get, tell you, or, I mean, we all know that salt and pepper does something and it makes it taste better. But what yep. is it about the salt and what is it about the pepper combined that makes food and especially meats taste rounded? I think
2: it just um, – it. um Tough question to answer because it's one of those things that you know, day one cooking it's just drilled in your head. Right. Um, that I'm almost a, a salt freak. Yep. Um, that I almost season things to a point where you can't taste the salt, but you know something's different about it. Right. Um, over oversalting is just carelessness and not tasting your product uh, throughout the cooking process. Right. But well, they didn't. Think
0: so, that, so they they drill it into your head in in culinary boot camp, but they don't really explain why.
2: Pretty much. <laughs> right.
0: So, so it, yeah. It
2: definitely definitely makes things. I'm sure there's a whole whole chemical level um, more associated with the, the salt than it is the pepper.
0: right now dusty, you're, you're a kind of a salt expert. You showed me a video of you at work making salt right <laughs> so actually uh, I'm making a salt brine. You're making a salt brine, and, and Corey Dusty is uh, uh, one of the guys that goes and makes sure the roads are safe in uh, wintry conditions, and he mm-hmm. uses a lot of salt on the roads, drives the, yeah. big, the big trucks, and he creates the salt brine. He showed me this video where he actually – it's so high-tech that you, you basically have a, a water-salt mixture that's mm-hmm. tested and and retested and monitored at, what, 23 – what was it? 23 parts – 23.3 particles, yeah. Yeah, 23.3% salt as part of this mixture, and that would keep the, the roads from freezing um, until you reach really super low temperature, right? It,
1: yeah, it's a de-icing agent.
0: De-icing agent. So if you think about it, if we're putting in some salt in our mouth, that water is going to the saliva. The water in the saliva in our mouth is going to – it's almost like it's a – a flavor carrier in a sense, kind of like fat is.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's just a, a natural instinct for your, your taste buds to jump.
0: Right. But over salting, if that mixture's too bad or too much, it's not good for the roads either. Um, right. If it's too little, it's too slippery. Correct. So it's that, yeah, it's over salting meat is similar to salting the roads. You can't have too much and you can't have too little because right. both, both sides of those spectrums kind of screws it up. But right in the yep. middle, right in the, there's a sweet spot. Yep. Right, gotcha. Yep.
2: And if, if you talking about talking about caring, if if you leave you know, salt on any meat too long um, and too much of it, it'll actually draw whatever amount of moisture is in that out and dry it out. Um, so, wow. that's kind of a, that's definitely a, a preserving method. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of ancient, you know, cultures used to, you know, to, you know, supply, you know, products through, through uh, harsher times of the years by, by curing them. And that's because you're taking out um, all the moisture, one of the items in Fat Tom, um, right. out of the product in order to, you know, make it last longer. Gotcha. You know, modern, modern refrigeration has you know kind of the need
1: for, for that uh, that stuff right gotcha I, I got a great example of too much salt let's let's throw this out there just to put it in perspective if you happen to have a piece of leather take and dump salt water on that piece of leather watch what the piece of leather does over a period of time you, and your meat's the same exact way it's going to draw up get real dried out and it just it's no good
0: I believe it. So it's not good to eat. It's not, it doesn't taste like very good either. So, okay. So we, it, proper seasoning is super important. Um, Absolutely. All right. So we've, t- we've covered burger. We've covered um, stew meat. So what's how to make the best burger, how to cover the, or how to make the best stew. Let's move on to the backstrap a little bit. We talked about kind of the different portions of it. But as far as cooking backstrap, you can cut it into a, a roast. You can cut it into little, I call them medallions what's the best way to cook this and dusty i want your input put on this as well because you actually created a a video for your chubby tines outdoor website face on facebook about how you were cooking venison and lard i want you to uh, chime in here in a sec but let's say we do a roast Corey. what should we be putting on that roast just do another coating of of the seasoning for the crustate crusting point type thing
2: uh most most roasts I usually you know, do the simple salt and pepper again, um, and do a quick sear on it. Okay. And then do a lower temperature um roast in the oven. So, you know, you get that nice nice brown caramelization on that side, you know, and then pop it in a you know, three hundred, three hundred twenty five degree oven um until you, you know, get that, you know, one fifteen mark. Um, but that's gonna depend on the size of the meat, that's gonna take, you know, anywhere between, you know, half hour to you know, an hour depending on the size of the cut. Right.
0: Okay. So we're we're taking a pan. you have taken a, yep. a, a good size skillet that you put on mm-hmm. your on your oven or on your your set top. Mm-hmm. Put a little olive oil in there or some kind of oil or butter. Um,
2: I, I wouldn't use um olive oil. Um, I wouldn't use butter. Um, uh, those have lower smoke points. Okay. Uh, when I say smoke point, I mean um, the temperature at which any oil begins to smoke, and with the smoke, there's fire and not necessarily fire, but you know, the, the flavor yeah. of you know, you're burning the oil essentially, okay, um, and you're ruining the, the quality of the oil and then the quality of, of the roast itself. So, okay. you want to use a, a higher smoke point oil, um, like peanut oil or uh, or canola oil.
0: Interesting, okay, that's I just learned something there. All right, so canola or peanut oil in order to get that first seared, are you salting and peppering the, the meat before you sear it or after? Before, before. Salt, pepper, sear it with canola or peanut oil and then put it in the oven.
2: Yes. You definitely don't want to, just like you said, you want to season it and then hit, have it hit the hot pan. Um, like I was saying earlier, you know, bringing out the salt will bring out the moisture and moisture prevents caramelization. Right. You definitely want to, you know, get your oil in your pan, um, bring it almost that smoke point where you can kind of see the oil shimmer when you move the pan around. Salt, pepper the roast, sear it on all sides evenly. In that process, you might need to turn the heat down just a little bit um, to control the caramelization so it doesn't burn. Um, and then do uh, that uh, 300, 325 degree oven.
0: Okay. And then how long you cook it will be dependent upon the size of the roast and but you're always trying to achieve that 105 to 115 internal temp is that correct yes okay and that's when your your roast is done now should we consider any other seasoning for a roast like that or just salt and pepper
2: um I've done it in, you know, many, many different applications where you can always set the roast on top of, you know, julienne onions, um, you know, carrots, potatoes, um, you know, whole cloves of garlic just so the garlic doesn't burn over the long, right. um, period of time. Um, you can throw whole sprigs of rosemary or thyme or, um, you know, that kind of stuff right. on it. Um, you could also lay, uh, pieces of ba- raw bacon over it after you sear it and that will help keep any moisture that's in that larger cut from escaping. Um, yeah,
0: Gotcha. Uh, and as far as, I mean, it, unlike a, a fatty beef roast and unlike a fatty pork roast, you're not going to have a lot of juices flowing out that are of the fat content, right? Correct. It's not going to be as much juice coming out, so you're not going to have the ability to use some of those juices for like a gravy or something like that. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Okay. I was
2: gonna I was just gonna say that you could also, um, you know, after you're done searing your pan, um, you can dump out the remaining um, uh, cooking oil and deglaze it with beef stock or red wine, and then put that in the bottom of the roasting pan. And as that uh, liquid evaporates, um, not only will it concentrate, but it's also creating steam to keep that you know the the roast moist since it doesn't have a lot of marbling or fat in it um, to to create more moisture. Gotcha.
0: Okay, so this is where I want to bring Dusty back in because Dusty, you were use cut what I, I think was backstrap. If, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, that's correct. In the in the video. You had some backstrap, and you had used lard as your cooking agent. Um, and walk us through how you cook that—that that, uh, what I call the medallion, or just a a, th- a thinner, well, one-inch piece, a uh, one-inch thick cut of ribeye, basically. Correct. Tell right. us how you it, made that.
1: Uh, it, it was very simple. Uh, you know, obviously, I start out with a chunk of lard, and there's, there's a my my key is to start the lard a little bit hotter for the first initial sear. You know, soon, i I do a you know, a uh, seasoning, I go into flour and then into my hot lard. Um, you know, the, the initial sear of that hot lard it gets the moisture sealed in. Quick sear, turn your heat down. Uh, definitely start out a little bit hotter lard grease and, and back it down once you get that first initial impact on it.
0: So it almost creates this breading out or outside kind of right it's almost like breaded beef or bre- and breaded red meat yeah it's uh,
1: you know like just like a country fried steak country fried steak venison. right
0: that, that's exactly what i was just thinking too <laughs>
1: right i think my
0: mouth's watering yeah, yeah. that just sounds good country fried <laughs> venison steak i don't i just i like the sounds of that
1: you know it it, it come from kentucky being down there with family and that that was kind of like what we grew up on when we was down there the uh, you know, they had homemade flour. It, it, it don't get no better. Every time I go, I
0: bring some back with me. Homemade flour. Like to walk us through that a little bit. I need to know more.
1: Oh, that's just where they grind their own flour. It's, uh, you know, no different in, in store bought, but it's more fresher and it, it's got a different taste to it. So, you're, what are you grinding up? Wheat and, and, or something else corn corn yeah Interesting. You, you're you grinding all your own mixtures right there and they have uh different seasonings you can get different flour seasonings um you know I'm trying to think like they do a poppy seed flour. They, they do a uh, uh let me think here a couple different ones
0: that's cool so that's something i haven't heard about so okay so d- cory have you heard about this kind of stuff where you actually create your own flour and and do like these um compound flour almost in a sense um
2: I've, I've heard about it a little bit but it's nothing I've really played around with um, I know in the, in the baking world there's you know almond flour which I was like oh you know is it gluten-free or whatever you know right. well, it's, it's finely ground almonds you know so realistically you can make quote-unquote flour out of Any, anything that can grind into a finite powder
0: as long as it's, it's dry enough and you then you can grind it down so it, it becomes yep. flaky and uh, yep. and so it doesn't stick that's yep. pretty cool dusty so you actually guys down in Kentucky from where where your family was from, you were making corn flour, so to speak, and Correct. and then yeah. adding some different elements, different flavorings into each flour. Yeah, it's
1: it's just like um, you know flavored flour. It, it, right. It's all bag right there. It's ground right there. It's all done right there.
0: What do they use for a grinder?
1: Uh, they got an old belt drive, uh, which has got uh, what's called crunchers on it. Gotcha. And you know you just dump your corn through, and and it's old Model A tractor. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a hit and miss. You, I am just going to say, you,
0: you laugh all you want. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's definitely old timers. That's awesome. It's, it's really cool to see.
0: It's a neat experience. And, uh, next time I'm there, I'll take a video. This is the, like the old school stuff. I'd love to hear about this. You know, so it, it's not, a, it's, it's bringing in the old school culinary from the south and, and yeah. the old school culinary or, um, culinary from just hunting and bringing it all into one piece. That's why I like this show so much.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh you know the the modern technology there. Uh, there's not no money to afford it. So right. it's uh, you know they make do with what they got and the old corn grinder and what's call it's got crunchers on it. Right. it. it just crunches the corn down and makes it powder form. Comes
0: out to the other end. Right. it's it's really unique. Well, what's interesting is that they took what they had they took but they were the end goal was to make something taste better so it doesn't matter you know what the technology is or how much money you have their whole goal was to make something taste better which is awesome and they figured out a way to do it affordable and affordable so making things taste better doesn't mean you have to add money so that does that does that equate uh, to your thoughts Corey?
2: absolutely um i was just thinking back to i you was know, speaking about about tradition you know, a lot of you know america is kind of a, a melting pot of you know many different cultures um you know both historically and culinarily um but the two are very closely associated um you know and you know, it's, you know what happens in kentucky with grinding corn into flour you know us folk up here in uh new hampshire have no clue <laughs> right <laughs> or you know what you're talking about because we just we've never done it you know it's it was never part of our, our heritage or aware of life because we never had to, had to do it.
0: Right. It's not, I mean, New Hampshire was never really flooded with, um, lots of grains. I mean, there are some, but it's, it's not the part of the country that you would consider famous for its grain production. Um, let's, uh, let's get into the, uh, hindquarters a little bit. Let's talk about the, uh, the, some more of the sirloin and some of the cuts that come out of, uh, the hindquarters, like the top round, bottom round. What do you do with those?
2: Um, I like to I like to do a larger larger roast with those. Um, you know, you do through a, a par roast. You know, you could uh, you know take your top round, uh, season it with salt and pepper again, um, sweat a little bit of onions. You know, sear off the top round, and then uh, that's going to be one of those long, long cooking techniques where you add a little bit of liquid to it. Um, you know, put it in a crock pot or put it in a, you know, keep it in the same pan, cover it with foil, and uh, forget about it for three, four hours. You know, and with the with those long fibers, uh, you know, muscle fibers, you know, relax, cook down, break down, um, and uh do its thing, and and then uh, create flavor.
0: Gotcha. Um, I think that's basically the breakdown of the whole deer at that point. Um, let's talk about venison chili a little bit. Uh, how do you make your venison chili? Is there something that I need to incorporate into a venison chili to offset some of the lack of fat or is it good just going as it is?
2: Um, I like to do it the way <clears throat> the way you know the way it is. Um, I know there's there's a huge debate out there. Is you know if you should make chili out of uh, out of uh, hamburger or ground venison, or if you do it with uh, the chunks. Um, and I like to like to do it with the chunks. So I like that that meaty that meaty chewy texture where it's almost um, almost like a stew, but you know you've got your tomatoes, you've got beans, you've got onions. Um, you know if you if you like it spicy, you can you know throw some uh, poblanos or jalapenos or um, you know other peppers if you want it spicier. Um, but you know I think the that slow and low long cooking time that really uh, makes all the flavors come together over time that makes chili chili right
0: yep chili is one of those low and slow in a crock pot kind of thing yep. yep um dusty what other dishes do you want to ask cory about what other dishes do you want to try to make better yeah let's get into
1: the other end of the deer i want to talk a little bit about the neck meat mm-hmm. let's get into something that Tell us a way we can fix that, not only to tenderize it a little bit better. You know, obviously, that's the toughest part of the deer, the neck meat. What can we do to make that a good meal?
2: I've never done it with, uh, with venison, but I've done it with uh, with other animal neck meat, um, um, more so uh, veal. Um, you know, you can, if you get a chance to, you know, have a feel on one one flat slab, it almost kind of looks like a, like a square, um you can essentially make a make a stuffing with it. Um, you could uh, you know take a fork and, you know, kind of break up the, the muscle strands. Um, you know season it and you make a stuffing with uh, you know, some ground venison um, onion celery uh, some uh, some diced bread and then stuff that and make it into a roll um, and then roast that roast that whole um, and then you know slice that really really thin um, that's what we call in the culinary world a uh, roulade where you take a, a larger thinner piece of meat uh, stuff it with something and, and roll it up a, roul- uh, a roulard? R- roulade roulade r-o-u-l-a-d-e
0: roulade okay got it
1: yeah, that, that sounds <laughs> like that should uh, bring out the flavors and break it down a little bit as it cooks. That's, that's yeah, a great absolutely. that's a great idea with that.
0: Should uh, if you're dealing with that tougher piece of meat, is that something you should pound out like to get it tenderized? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yep. gotcha. Um, what other dishes should we be considering Corey with venison that we haven't talked about tonight
2: um, I mentioned earlier about uh, making making stock I don't know how yeah. many people out there keep the keep the bones um, you know I know some people get a little weirded out by it because um, it is you know it is a wild game and there's more more marrow and more uh, bacteria or room for bacteria in the bones um, but if you you know treat the treat the carcass correctly you know during the butchering process and you, and you know that you're going to use those bones um, you know, minimize, minimize hair, minimize, you know, um, uh, dirt, you know, just don't throw them aside. Um, you can, you know, roast the bones, um, and, uh, make a really, really good stock. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of nutrients, um, in stocks.
0: Okay. Take, bring us through, bring us through that a little bit deeper. So sure. how do you, you, you have some bones, the bones that I have usually get thrown, um, to the, to the coyotes or coyote yep. bait basically. Yeah. Um, so you're saying we can keep the bones, we can make a venison stock out of it. How yep. do you, how do you make the venison stock? Uh, you, you take some of the bones, you break them down into usable pieces and then, mm-hmm. then you throw them in a pot. Then what?
2: Um, per, per five pounds of bones, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, take two onions, you know, cut the ends off, peel them and a large dice, uh, meaning, you know, about roughly one inch square. Um, and, uh, as well as a uh, six ribs of celery, large dice, um, four carrots, peeled large dice as well, um, and those three items there are called Mirabai, um, right. which technically is 50% onion, 25% celery, 25% carrot, um, and you can roast that as well along with your bones.
0: Now you keep um, saying roast. Does that mean I, when I think of roast, I'm thinking about putting something in the oven? Where are you putting it in an oven, or are you keeping up on the the
2: top? You can keep. You can put it in the oven. Okay. Yep. roast it right along with the, right along with the bones in a large pan. You don't want to. Um, your ultimate goal when you roast anything is to is to create caramelization. And, and ultimately flavor okay you, you know, want to you don't want to use a, a a small pot you want to you know get your your widest biggest uh pan um or a casserole dish or what have you and uh, spread your bones and your mirepoix out in a single layer so it can evenly um evenly uh caramelize and become brown okay um if you have it all in one small pot you know just the top's going to become caramelized and the rest are just going to steam
0: am i adding water to this stuff or am i just letting it go the way it is
2: just Leave it, leave it dry, um, and okay. put it in the oven. You know, probably probably three hundred and fifty degrees for uh, probably an hour, hour and a half.
0: Okay. And do I leave? Do I cover it with anything? Do I cover the? Is it a uh, like a? I don't know. What's uh, one of those big? cast iron pots and you put the cover over it and then put it in the oven do i do i cover it or do i not cover it
2: uh, you don't want to cover it because you don't want to you don't want to create um steam okay. you want that that dry heat to to caramelize caramelize the bones
0: okay so what's what's left and when you're all done what, what do we do with it after it's done cooking
2: um once once you roast the bones in the mirepoix then uh, um you can take all of that and uh, put it into a pot okay. um Fill it with cold water, um, and cover it by about, you know, an inch or two. Um, and you want to slowly bring it to a boil. And then once it comes to a boil, you want to, uh, turn the heat back down to a, to a low, low heat where it's just simmering. Um, and then let that, you know, simmer away for, you know, probably six, eight hours or so. That's definitely, definitely something you want to start, you know, first thing in the, first thing in the morning, let it go all
0: day. Gotcha. So you take everything that's in, the, was in the roast or that you roasted and then put it into the, the pan to basically cook down with water. Absolutely. Gotcha. Yep. That's so cool. That's it. Dusty, have you ever made venison stock?
1: You know, I haven't.
0: Uh, it's just something that I haven't done and I need to. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So which, which bones should we be using? Should we be using front, you know, front, uh, shoulder bones? Should we be using, um, uh, back bones? Should we be using the hindquarters or the leg bones? Which, what, what bones are are good for that?
2: Pretty much any any bone. Um, you know I, I might I might stay away from uh, from the rib bones just because they're a little bit a uh, little bit smaller um, and they're tougher to, tougher to cut up and, and process um, and be able to fit into you know the roasting pan and stock pot. Um, but if you, if, you, if you have the ability to you know cut them into you know, three four inch chunks, they're a lot easier to handle um, and you won't get as uh, frustrated if you're making it for the first time. Gotcha.
0: Is there anything that you can do with the ribs? Now that you, you brought up the ribs, I always feel like the ribs get overlooked and there's usually a, even a, a piece of flank meat on there that often gets overlooked or even thrown to the coyotes. Can we do anything with those?
2: Um, it tends to be a little more fat around that area, so um don't be afraid to you know, as long as you're not getting any pieces of cartilage or anything, um don't be afraid to, you know, put that right into into grind. I don't know how you feel about that, but um it's what I do, and you know, any any amount of uh fat that you have, you know, is, is flavor okay. going back into, into the
0: burger. Okay. Can we do anything with the ribs itself? Can we make like uh ribs like you would like um you know, pork ribs or spare ribs or anything like that? Is that possible with venison or is it just too lean? Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I you know, okay. and I don't think there's a there's not enough meat on it to, to really make it worth worth your while.
0: Okay and what should we do with the stock once it's um, all done?
2: You want to you want to strain that strain that liquid through a you know through a sieve or or something to get all the all the spent bones and mirepoix um, out of that um, you know over that long cooking time you know the 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 water that you originally started with you know is going to you know have a, like a nice nice dark round very flavorful um, look and and taste to it. Um, so after it's strained you can discard the bones and in the in the mirror plot.
0: Okay, and the uh, as far as the stock, what do you use it in? Use it, it from for me. I've used beef stock, vegetable stock, chicken stock, and other things. Just makes everything taste better when you start with a stock. It seems same thing with the venison stock.
2: Yep, you use it. Use it in the same way. Um, you can you know put it in uh, core containers or I've done it in uh, gallon Ziploc bags. Okay, um, um, which makes it a little bit easier for for freezing. Yep, um, you know same thing. You don't want to have a lot of um, you know air exposure to that because that'll create freezer freezer burn from okay. which will Make all your hard work, you know, you know go bye-bye. <laughs>
0: gotcha. So you can freeze the stuff and keep it for dishes down the road.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you awesome. Great, great on gravies. Um, in the restaurant, I do a lot with uh, a lot with stocks, um, and uh, we make what's called a gloss, which is any stock that is reduced down. Um, it's, it's a really long process, but it's uh, definitely worth it. Okay. Um, you would just take the finished stock and slowly simmer it, um, so you'll see steam rising but not boiling mm-hmm. um, until you know you have a, a thicker, a thicker. Stock. Stock, essentially and all you're doing is um, concentrating uh, the flavors.
0: Gotcha. Now and, it sounds like we're concentrating the venison flavor. Now venison in itself and we've talked about the gaminess of venison before, does it just concentrate the gaminess or the flavor, or the natural flavor of venison or does it um, turn out to be something different?
2: It, it shouldn't concentrate the gaminess because there's, you know, I think most of the most of the flavor is in, in the meat. Um, but you're definitely, you know, having other things in that in that stock um to give it other flavors than just you know, just venison.
1: Okay. Gotcha. You
0: know. Dusty, what other questions do you have for Corey?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna get into something that uh, you know, back in the day was very big. Um tell us if you if you can, tell us some information on prepping and cooking
0: the heart. Ooh, good question.
2: Hmm. Um, I would definitely, you know, classify that as one of those, you know, quick, quick cooking techniques. You know, high heat, little amount of oil. you Want to sear it. Um, are are, are we talking thin,
1: thin sliced? Or tell, tell us how to prep um, it, cook it. Tell us, tell us oh, all about it.
2: Um, I would I would definitely, you know, do a you know if I was going to sear it, you know, slice it, slice it thin. You know, a little bit of salt and pepper. Um, almost the same way that you would cook a calf liver. Um, you don't want to you don't want to ruin it because it will it will get tough. Um, I don't know if you've done it before. I haven't, but I've heard of people uh, um, grinding it up into to their burger. Yeah. It just gives it a different different amount of uh, flavor to it, um, and it's not wasted.
0: Right, um, but it's still an organ. Organs have a little different flavors, a little more dense. And yeah, absolutely. has a. Uh, how would you describe the flavor of a of an organ, Dusty? Would it be like uh, not? it It's a little more gamey, I think, in a sense. Um, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to define gamey, you know, Yeah,
1: it, it's one of them that it's, it's a different acquired taste. How yeah. about we leave it at that?
0: It's not bad. It's just, it, but it is a flavor. It's a different flavor than, than you'll find anywhere else. And it's uh, it's a more concentrated it, flavor, I think. Yeah. It's like no other. Right. Um, what about the liver? If we're on the topic of organs. Livers are not considered really a good edible piece these days anymore. Is that right, Corey?
2: Um, I I'd, I'd have to agree with that. Um, especially being a wild animal. Um, you know, who knows, you know, if it has chronic wasting disease, um, you know, if it it's essentially a filter for to extract anything bad that's going through right. you know, your even, blood system.
0: Even like heavy metals and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I haven't eaten a deer liver in years, probably been twenty years now. Um, because it's just it's been One of those things that the fish and game has decided is not a great idea for human consumption anymore.
2: it's not worth the risk. Right. You know, it's, it's fine with, you know, chicken livers or, you know, foie gras, which is uh, force-fed duck liver, um, or even calves liver because there's, you know, the U.S. is you know, looking right over their shoulder, knowing what the animal's eating, knowing how it's, uh, how, you know, being processed, um, and, you know, they'll, they're willing to put their stamp on it. Um, and I think venison liver is definitely a, a little little risky.
0: Okay, gotcha. Um, as far as, like, the, the bone marrow, they, like, deer bones are pretty small. In general, is the marrow edible, and is it something you would consider as a chef that you'd want to try to eat?
2: Um, if you're making stock from the bones, you know you can, you know, elements of the of the marrow are getting broken down and into the into the into the stock, um, which will you know give it some some thickening you know abilities. Um, because marrow is mostly protein. Um, it's kind of a, a personal judgment call right there. There's a lot of a lot of stuff going through through the marrow too. Okay. Um, same as the liver.
0: So sometimes you see like a, a cut of bone on a mm-hmm. on a beef critter that would be edible, like uh, marrow, because there's enough of it, right? Right. But deer, it's a little harder to to get to that state. Yep. Um, what other dishes would you create with venison that you wouldn't create with beef? Mm. That's a tough one. I like yeah, when we stop him that, <laughs> <I
2: know. laughs> none, none that uh um, I, well i've eaten I've eaten calves brains before um, I don't know if I would do that with venison right um, and, um, I know one thing that i I would would cook um, that I think a lot of people now putting towards uh, towards hamburger is uh shanks you know that lower lower section of the of the leg that's you know really long, tough muscle fibers yeah um, that would be uh you know, definitely raise those you know a, a, a quick hot sear and then take some of that that stock that we just talked about yeah cover. It the stock and slow and low for you know three four hours until the meat is really nice and nice and tender
0: just break down all that connective tissue gotcha uh any other dishes that you want to share with us Corey?
2: um Nothing that comes out of my uh, top of my head. Okay, gotcha. I think we uh, covered covered a good chunk
0: of the animal. We've covered a great deal tonight, um, Dusty. Do you have any other questions for Corey? No,
1: I sure don't. And uh, Corey, you've been very informal, and uh, you know, you, great job on uh, answering questions, and, and hopefully it helps somebody prepare their venison. All
0: right. Well, yeah. Thank that's you very cool. much. And Corey, could before we let you go, could you just sum up just the key elements that we should keep in on the tip of our head? When we're cooking venison, what are the key points that we should always focus on?
2: Uh, probably definitely the, the correct cooking method for the correct cut of meat. Um, you know, the, you talked about the tenderloin being, uh, you know, a quick, quick cook, you know, keeping it rare, medium rare, right around 110, 115 degrees. Um, you know, same thing with the back strap. Um, when you start getting into some of the tougher cuts, uh, cuts like, uh, top round, bottom round, the larger roasts, you want to, you know, still incorporate that quick cooking technique, but then you want to slow it down a little bit, um, and make sure that, you know, the larger, larger roasts are still, you know, cooked Evenly all the way through, um, and then all the way to to braising. You know, okay. Definitely want to you know cook them, cook uh cook the pieces you know slow and low for you know up to the three four hours.
0: Gotcha. I always get concerned about the uh, overcooking because it's so lean. Is that something that we need to take into consideration?
2: Um, it definitely is, um, as long as there's, uh, introduction of, of a different type of moisture or fat in one way, shape or form.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Um, well, I think this has been a pretty darn good show. We've, uh, yeah, man, we've covered a lot. We've learned a lot about the culinary, learned about, um, making flour in Kentucky and, uh, thanks to Dusty for doing that. Um, well, Dusty, what do you say? You think we should, uh, let Corey go here and, and, are you working tonight, Corey? No, I've, uh, I've got tonight off. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I'll let you get back to doing whatever else you had planned. But this has been awesome, been very yeah, informative. Yeah, th- thanks for coming on, Corey. It's uh,
1: you know the the listeners will definitely enjoy having you aboard.
0: Awesome, I
2: appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me.
0: Oh man, that was so cool. Got to listen to Corey tell us all about how to cook venison. You know, I,
1: just like any other interview we
0: do, I, I learned something, and that's uh, you know that that means a ton. It does. I I mean, I think I'm a good cook. I learned from my wife. My wife went to school with Corey, actually, to be a chef, and she is a trained chef. Um, She does more baking, but she knows a lot of techniques, and I've learned a lot from her. In fact, back in the day, I used to, I before my wife went to culinary school, I used to do all the cooking. And then I sent her to culinary school and she's like, get out of the kitchen. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. You so, know, culinary school will kick a out of the kitchen it if you want to. And so I paid attention to the things she was doing and I learned how to boil water better for that matter. I mean, it was, everything was better from that right. point you forward. almost had to get off the
1: podcast. You realize this? Why is that? My mouth was watering and I was ready to go lay out some tenderloins. <laughs> I,
0: I was so to, close to saying I gotta go, guys. I have to say that um I still don't let my wife near my grill, but it's just a guy's thing. And she's she has some challenges on the grill. She's great inside the kitchen, but you you open it up on a outside grill, not so not as much. Um you know what I made this weekend, Dusty? And I should have asked Corey a little bit about this. I made some venison jerky. Did you? I did. And I should have um, talk to Corey some more, but I just pulled some venison, not brand new venison either. Not, not from last year. It was a couple of years old, but it was sh- heat sealed, shrink wrapped, vacuum packed, no freezer burn whatsoever. And it came out delicious. It awesome. Was fantastic. I tried a bunch of different recipes. I've never made venison jerky of my, on my own. How did it turn out? It was delicious. Some of the, I will, I will never, basically any, any meat that comes my way, no matter what is, I will never refuse it because I can sit down in a weekend and make a giant batch and hand it out because people will enjoy it. Yeah. You're talking
1: this up so good that, uh, I might be expecting some Ooh, for the PA show. That's a great
0: idea. I will have some with me for sure. It's awesome. A, it may be a brand new batch because the batch I made and then I use five, I started with five pounds of, uh, venison and ended up with a lot less because obviously you dehydrate it, get, get all the, the moisture out. But, um, I'm not sure it's going to make it that far. So I will have another batch ready for you and I'm going to make for you the, the batch that I like them the best because I try, I experiment five different types of recipes and I, I picked out the one that I like the best. Awesome. The one that I like the best actually used a molasses bacon powder rub along with a shot of Knob Creek maple whiskey and then Knob Creek a lot of the other good stuff but man that one was by far the best
1: yeah, this uh, I'm I'm
0: expecting it now, and uh, thanks, Jay. You got it, bud. Um, all right, let's. Uh, we talked about a little bit uh about how to reach each other. Um, and for our listeners to reach us in the very beginning, why don't you cap that up again and and tell us how to reach you? Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Times Outdoors. Very cool. All right, and if you'd like to reach me, send me an email: Jay at Big dot com. Give us some feedback on the show, 724-613-2825. We want to hear what you think about the Big Buck Registry. Um, I would also like to know if you think we should do a Big Buck Registry contest this year, a photo contest for Buck of the Year, and that would be a great place to call it in, 724-613-2825. And on Facebook, facebook.com, Big Buck Registry, twitter.com, Big Buck Registry. Across the board, Big Buck Registry. Um, Dusty, I think, uh, I think I gotta go cook some venison because I'm kind of hungry now.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, I actually text my wife and told her lace, I'm out in the middle of that podcast.
0: There you go. That's the way to do it. Um, well, I think that's a wrap, man. Awesome. Uh, You know, tune in every Saturday, 5 a.m. And don't worry, we're going to replay it throughout the day. So we'll send, send links just in case you missed it in the original feed. Oh, and share for share. By the way, you can send me a direct message. I may or may not share back, but if I really like you, I'm going to ask you to be a guest on the Big Buck Registries Big Buck Podcast.
1: And that's a, that's a cool way to check out and meet new people and uh, get them on the podcast.
0: Absolutely. And Dusty, before we, we let this thing wrap up, tell us where we're going to be in a few weeks. You know, February 1st through the
1: 9th is the great American outdoor show in Harrisburg, PA. And uh, we're going to be there. I cannot wait for that. It's going to be a definite good time.
0: All right, man. I think that's a show. Uh, This is Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. See you next week. Can't wait.